0: your Bibles, open them up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. We've spent the better part of this year uh, walking through the book of Acts together. Just to give you a little bit of a heads up going forward and then a little bit going back to make sense of where we are, we are going to wrap up the book of Acts somewhere in the middle of the month of July. Um, And as we get through Acts chapter 21, which we'll jump into next week, from about the middle of Acts chapter 21 through Acts chapter 28, you get to one really big, long story, a process of the Apostle Paul actually making his way to Jerusalem and then ultimately making his way to Rome in some unfortunate circumstances. So. Go ahead and begin reading the book of Acts, chapters 21 through 28 throughout the week. Prepare yourself for the story because we're going to take a lot of time in the weeks to come reading the text and making sense of the story, uh, but it's a narrative, it's a story. So the more familiar you are with it, uh, the better it'll be for us and our time together. Uh, we don't want to just break it apart and make it really choppy, but it's going to be a big story and we're going to wrap it up probably in the middle of July. Uh, but to make sense of where we are this morning, let me see if I can turn this a little bit. There we go. Is that better? All right. Uh, This morning in Acts chapter 20, we've spent the last few weeks uh, looking at the Apostle Paul's work and planting the churches in the city of Corinth and in the city of Ephesus. And we've done our best at times to take the process of how God has used Paul to plant those churches to then map those experiences onto our experience at Redemption Hill to take a little time just to help you understand what God's been doing here and how what God has done through men like the Apostle Paul, how he's doing the same thing through a church like Redemption Hill. So we looked at the process of Paul planting and the things he went through and the things that he had to do, and we looked at our church and the things that we've gone through in the three years we've been here and the things that God continues to do here. And then two weeks ago, we had a chance to look at the corporate worship service of one of these churches that Paul planted, and we tried to map our experience together here on Sunday onto what we saw earlier in in Acts chapter 20. Uh, and then this week, we're going to take that one, one step further and we're going to hear Paul's word to leaders in the local church. We're going to hear Paul's encouragement to the pastors, to the elders in the church of Ephesus. And we're going to try to map that over our experience a little bit here so that you can better understand what expectations the Bible has of your pastors and your elders. And then my prayer as we go through this and we continue on talking about this in weeks to come is that God would stir some of the men in this place with a burden towards the responsibility of pastoring. shepherding and caring for God's flock and the way in which God intends and in the manner in which God describes and that's what Paul is going to talk about this morning so that's what we're going to get into so if you've got Acts chapter 20 open we'll start in verse 13 and we'll read through and I'll read and we'll talk and that's kind of my custom for those of you that are that are new here but verse 13 Paul has preached his epic sermon and he is, God has raised um, <laughs> Eucatis, Eucatix, Eucatis, I don't know, however you say that, Eucatis from the dead, remember the boy that fell asleep while Paul was preaching and fell out the window, and Paul went, and God used Paul, raised him from the dead, and Paul went back up, kept eating and kept preaching, we, we've gone through that corporate service, and now we're at verse 13, and Luke records that going ahead of the ship, we, he putting himself in here, set sail for Asos intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. So Paul was leaving, the whole crew was leaving, Paul intended to go by land to stop in a few places, and the rest of the team took a boat, and they met him in Asos. And when he met us there, verse 14, we took him on board and we went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, So that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible. On the day of Pentecost. Now, what Luke is saying is that when they left town and began to travel, they began stopping in seaport cities along the way, but Paul had a burden. Paul had an urgency. If you remember, he had been taking a collection from these different towns and these different churches, a collection to take to the church in Jerusalem. There were needs that were going to come in the church in Jerusalem. A famine had been prophesied, and Paul was going to help the Gentile churches that were being planted support the church in Jerusalem and care for the church in Jerusalem. And a sideways motivation, and a good motivation for Paul in that and we'll see it in the weeks to come, was that he wanted this offering to be a gesture towards the unity of the church. If you remember, these churches that Paul is planting now are predominantly Gentile churches, and the church in Jerusalem is predominantly a Jewish church, and we've seen lots of conflict between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, and Paul's hope is that this offering that he gets and takes to Jerusalem will be a bridge and be a statement of the unity of the Gentile church and the Jewish church. So he's anxious to get there. He wants to get there for the Feast of Pentecost, which... Just for your own information, today is Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, uh, Acts, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church, filled the church, uh, Pentecost, that's today. We're not making it Pentecost Sunday, but just so you know, there's a connection for you. But Paul's wanting to get to Jerusalem, the Feast of Pentecost, and he wants to see the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, and he wants to bring this offering to them, and he wants to get there, so he's in a hurry. He's urgent. He's so urgent that he's going to take a trip, and he's going to bypass the city of Ephesus. One of the cities we saw him plant churches in just a few weeks ago, a city in which he spent the most time. He spent a little over three years in Ephesus, preaching the gospel, getting to know the people in that city. He had dear friends in that city. He loved people in that city. He knew that if he stopped in Ephesus, it would be hard for him to actually get out. He knew that he would be so connected and so excited to see them, and they would be so excited to see him that it might delay him so much that he can't get to Jerusalem in time to give this offering. It was going to be hard, so he decided to sail past the people he loved. Sail past the church that he had established and and stop along the way. But as he did and sailed past Ephesus and they stopped, he, he had a message that he wanted to give. He knew he couldn't stay in Ephesus, but when they pulled up to the port, he sent some of his messengers to go and get the elders of the church in Ephesus, to go and get the pastors of the church in Ephesus because there was something that the Apostle Paul wanted to say to them. Now, if you think about the urgency he's got to get to Jerusalem, think about this just in context, in real life. For Paul to stop where he stopped, to send messengers to Ephesus, to get the elders of the church to bring them back to where Paul is, would have taken a week. So he's burdened to get to Jerusalem. He's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. So much so, he won't stop and see the church that he planted and the people that he loved, but he'll stop for a week, send messengers to get their pastors, because there's something that he wants to say. That should bring some context and some weight. It's the words in which the Apostle Paul wants to say. Look at verse 17 and 18. That just kind of clears you out. Paul, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders. He said, come to him. And when they came to him, he said something to them. And here's the thing. I'm going to go ahead and let you in. Here's the point of all that the Apostle Paul is going to say. And by God's grace, here's what we'll try to unpack. Pastors or elders must shepherd the flock of God well because God's people are so eternally dear to him. Elders must shepherd the flock of God well. Pastors must shepherd the flock of God well, because God's people are so eternally dear to him. Now, some of you are immediately going to check out on me. We're talking about church leadership. We're talking about pastors. And some of you are going to check out because you don't feel like that has any particular relevance to your life. You may feel like I don't really know what's going on in your world. How in the world could this particular text and this particular passage have any semblance of relevance for the things in which you're facing throughout the week and the struggles with which you have? But I don't want you to check out on me quite yet because there's a scary principle at work here in this text. There's a scary principle at work throughout all of Scripture and you'll see it in a multitude of texts and we don't have time to get to all of them. But the principle is this. A congregation, that's you guys and me together, A congregation rarely rises above the level of godliness displayed in its own leadership. A congregation, a flock of God's people, a local church rarely rises above the level of godliness portrayed, displayed, reflected by its own pastors and its own elders. See, most problems in most churches can be traced back to the failure in the leadership of those churches. I'm just be honest, there, there are some things that happen in the church that can't directly be tied back to the leaders in a church, but if I worked really hard, I probably could. Most problems in most churches can be directly tied back to a failure in the leaders of those churches. Bad theology taking root, gossip taking root, division taking root. You don't need me to take time to share with you the statistics or the failure of churches and the failure of church leaders in this country in particular today. We've talked about it in the past. I don't need to rehash and rehearse those numbers for you. But this is a word to God's people. And it's a word particularly aimed to the shepherds of God's people. That we are responsible by God due to his dear and eternal love for his church to shepherd his people faithfully and to shepherd his people well. And some of you know how Serious, this really is. If I were to ask you to raise your hands and I won't do it, some of you, many of you, I would dare say, could raise your hands to experiences that you have had where you have seen leaders in God's church fail to shepherd God's people faithfully and to shepherd God's people well. And if I were to ask you to continue to raise your hands or keep them up for some of you who have experienced that personally and that experience has compelled you directly to leave the church, or I dare say leave the faith, the numbers would probably be pretty surprising to some of you, but not surprising to God and not surprising to his scriptures. It is imperative that God's church have godly pastors who enjoy God deeply and engage in and protect God's purposes and God's plans for his people fiercely. It is of utmost importance. And right now, I'll just be honest with you, one of the greatest needs that we have in this particular local church it is for God, by his Holy Spirit, to burden more godly men for the health, the well-being, and the future fruitfulness of this church. One of the greatest needs we have right now in this church is for the Holy Spirit to burden more men with the responsibility and the determination and the desire to care well, to shepherd well God's flock here at Redemption Hill. As we continue to grow numerically and we continue to pursue growth in depth and passion and dependency upon God, it is of utmost importance that more men be identified by God's Holy Spirit and compelled by his Holy Spirit to take the initiative to be responsible for the health of this church. It will grow beyond the capacity for the few of us that we have right now. So as I speak, I'm speaking to some of you and I'm praying. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit does something in your hearts as I talk. I'm praying that as we look at what the Apostle Paul says about what some of the attitudes and characteristics and qualities are of God's shepherds and what the functions are of God's shepherds, I pray that some of you, the Holy Spirit would put a burden in you and a desire in you to see this play out in your life here at Redemption Hill. It's one of the greatest needs that we have. And so what we're gonna do is I'm just gonna introduce it this week. We're just gonna look at Acts chapter 20. We're gonna look at some of the essential attitudes and some of the essential functions of shepherds in God's church. We're gonna introduce it this week. And then next week on Father's Day, I'm gonna take almost the exact same sermon, the exact same points, and I'm going to apply it to how you're to be shepherds in your own homes. Because as we'll see, one of the first places where we begin to look at what God is doing in the heart of a man and how a man leads is how he leads in his own home and how he prepares to lead in his own home. So there's Father's Day for you. I'm gonna preach the same sermon, but I'm gonna take it out of the context of the church and I'm gonna put it in the context of the home. So as we're reading these things this morning, you can begin thinking that way if you want. Sound good? Sound, sound fair? Deal. All right, what are elders? Let's just go ahead and clear that up. Elders are, some people have said, the leading servants in the church. The leading servants in the church. I like this particular definition the best, though. Elders are men in the church who have been burdened by God for the well being of his church and deemed qualified, according to Scripture, for the responsibility of shepherding God's people towards maturity. Did you hear that? That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Elders are men in the church who have been burdened by God for the well being of his church and deemed qualified according to Scripture. For the responsibility of shepherding God's people towards maturity elders are God's principal shepherds in his local church to lead his people towards satisfaction and enjoyment and maturation in the gospel that's what elders do and elders one day shepherds in God's church will stand before God and give an account for those that God has entrusted them with They are principal leading servants who will stand before God one day and give an account for the spiritual well-being of those that God has put them in charge of. And not only will they give an account for the souls that God has put them in charge of, they will also stand before God under a stricter judgment for having been God's teachers, for having been those who taught people God's word, who pointed people towards God's glory and God's sufficiency an unbelievable place of of responsibility. And and here in Acts chapter 20, I'll just give you a, a couple of little insights before we dig through it. These particular church leaders are called by three different names, really. Two different names, one function. Oftentimes in another part of the Bible, it gets a name too. These guys, these particular leaders in the church are called elders in verse 17. They're called overseers. In verse 28, you'll see that in a minute. And in verse 28, these elders and these overseers are are told by Paul to care for the church, to care for the flock. Some of your Bibles will say to shepherd the flock. The word that's translated care for or shepherd right there is the same word we translate in other parts of the Bible for pastor. That's where the word pastor comes from. It's a shepherding function. So elders and overseers and pastors, anywhere else you see them in the New Testament is referring to this particular role or this particular office of leading God's people. You see throughout the New Testament, elder, overseer, pastor used interchangeably in different places and at different times and in different letters, but it's all the same role. It's all the same office. And this is particularly important when you talk about how a church is structured and and how a church is led because when you start putting people in places of responsibility and leadership and you use titles that aren't used in the Bible or you use titles in the Bible that aren't according to what their function and role are, things get really confusing. When you call somebody a pastor who's not an elder and you have elders who have particular functions and you have pastors who aren't elders and elders who aren't pastors, it can get really confusing who has what responsibility, who plays what role, who fits what qualification. It's really important that you see that in the the Bible, in the New Testament, these are different words talking about the same person. So here at Redemption Hill, we don't have elders who aren't pastors, and we don't have pastors who aren't elders. Those terms are synonymous. In fact, when we, when we go places as a group or we introduce, our, introduce ourselves as a group, the, the elders say our, our role is, I, I'm an elder, I, my name is Robert, I, I'm an elder at Redemption Hill Church and I give particular attention to the preaching of God's word and taking the initiative and discerning and setting the vision for this particular church along with the rest of the elders. That's my role. I'm an elder and I give particular function, particular attention to this thing. We go somewhere, and, and Ray introduces himself. He introduces himself and says, I'm Raymond Goodlett. I'm an elder at Redemption Hill Church, and I give particular attention to the, the local and overseas outreach efforts at Redemption Hill Church. We use pastor, we use elder interchangeably. We don't have elders who aren't pastors. We don't have pastors who aren't elders. That's the pattern of the Bible. Sometimes you'll hear people say that the pastor, when they use that word, is kind of referring to the duty. That elder is kind of referring to the office. And that overseer is kind of referring to the jurisdiction. But it's the same role, the same man, a different title, emphasizing really a different function. Does that make sense? That's what elders are in the church. And just to let you know, we preached extensively on this uh, earlier on in 2010 in our series on the book of Titus. If you want to go back, look at our, our series called Enjoying Grace, it's on the book of Titus, and we spent three weeks walking very particularly and detailed through this role of, in this office of an elder and in the other biblical office of a deacon, and I would commend you to go back and listen to that, because that was a much more thorough treatment than I'll give it this morning, but we've done it before, but this is what, a, what an elder is, and, and this morning, Paul is going to talk a little bit about what an elder looks like and what an elder actually does. What he looks like and what he actually does, his principal attitudes and his principal functions. And aside from this text in Acts chapter 20, there are two other main texts in the Bible that are used for discerning the qualities or the characteristics of the attitudes of elders. And they're in First Timothy chapter 3 and, and, like I just said, Titus chapter 1. And, and I'm actually going to just read. You don't have to go there. I'm gonna read it to you. First Timothy chapter 3. I'm just gonna read you real quick the list of of characteristics, qualities, or attitudes that that Paul talks about that elders should have because I want you to see this. I want you to keep this list in the back of your mind as we go through Acts 20 because Paul is going to give this speech to these elders in in Ephesus. And 10 years later, after he gives this speech, he's gonna be sitting in prison and he's going to write a letter to Timothy, who we've already met, who traveled with the Apostle Paul, and who was the Apostle Paul's right-hand man, who then Paul sends out to work in churches that he's planted. And in 10 years, he's going to write a letter to Timothy, who will be pastoring in Ephesus. And he's going to write this list of qualifications that Timothy is to look for when he's looking for men to, play, to serve the role of elder in a local church. And I want you to have it in the back of your mind as we go through Acts chapter 20, because in Acts chapter 20, you're going to hear the beginnings of this list that we're all so familiar with. We're so familiar with 1 Timothy 3, but the foundation for it was in Acts chapter 20 when Paul spoke to these elders that later he'll write to Timothy 2 who's leading these guys. So just listen to this real quick. Paul says to Timothy that this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, and now again, that's the same as an elder, it's the same as a pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? We'll deal with that next week. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, and into the the snare of the devil. So those are the most familiar qualifications, characteristics, attitudes, uh, identifying factors of an elder, and you can see the seeds of them and the foundation of them in in Acts chapter 20. And as Paul gives this group of elders, as he speaks to them and he gives them this charge, he's gonna direct their attention back to his ministry with them and how he modeled these particular qualities for them And then he's going to point them forward in a direction to the ministry that they're to take on now that he's gone. So, Acts chapter 20, we're going to jump back in. And the first thing we're going to see are the attitudes that are to mark an elder or a pastor in God's church. You yourselves know, Paul said, verse 18, how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life as of any value, nor nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. First quality, first attitude that has to be evident and a shepherd of God's people that, was evident in the ministry of the Apostle Paul is that a godly elder has to be selfless. You see a little bit of this in verse 19 where Paul reminds them of how he had served the Lord and by serving the Lord, served them with all humility. And again in verse 24, Paul says he doesn't account his life as of any value nor as precious to himself if only he may finish his course in the ministry that he had received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And the ministry of an elder, a godly elder's ministry to the flock of God, has to be selfless. It can't be about you. It can't be about establishing your ministry. The Apostle Paul did not go from town to town and city to city and place to place and church to church in an effort to make much of his name. He wasn't building the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul Ministries, East Coast. Apostle Paul Ministries, West Coast the Apostle Paul's effort, his intention, his purpose, his plan, his passion was not about his ministry, but it was about the work of what God was doing. It was about what God was establishing through him. He wasn't first and foremost most concerned about his particular reputation in place to place to place, but he was concerned about the gospel. And he did what he did because he was called. He did what he did and he served the way he served because he was called by God and because he loved the people of God. And this is unbelievably important because when God calls a man to this particular role and when a man becomes a pastor or a shepherd in God's church, with that role becomes an inherent, comes with it an inherent amount of influence, an inherent amount of authority. And if a man does not serve God's people with a selfless, continually deepening humility, understanding who has put him in that place and where his authority rests, and he begins to try to serve God's people with an eye towards making much of himself, he does extensive, extensive damage to God's people. The ministry of a a pastor, the ministry of an elder, the ministry of a a shepherd has got to be one that is marked by selflessness. That's marked by an ever-increasing humility. Secondly, a godly elder an attitude of a godly elder has got to be sacrificial. An attitude of a godly elder has got to be sacrificial. Verse 19, you still see it. He says, serving the Lord, he said, with all humility and what? With what? With tears. And with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Verse 31, we haven't read it yet, but he'll go on to say remembering, telling them to remember that for three years he did not cease, cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. Twice he mentioned the tears that he's cried for this church. Two times he mentions the tears that he has poured out as he has pastored these people and cared for these people and prayed for these people, thought about these people, fought for these people, loved these people, served these people. Twice he reminds them of the tears that he has poured out, as well as the plots that awaited him, the efforts of others to diminish his ministry, to end his ministry, to take him out of the picture. Loving God's people and serving God's people, caring for God's people, pastoring, shepherding God's people is a sacrificial job. Getting to know people, loving people, serving people will take your time, it will take your emotion, it will take your mind, it will take your effort, it will take your heart, it will cost you. It will cost you. There's a sacrifice to be made to take on the role of shepherding God's people. Verse 18, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. And in verse 20, he went on to say he was teaching them in public, but also from house to house. Paul's time was spent often in these people's homes, eating with them, playing with their kids, learning of the struggles they had, learning of the cares that they had, learning of the worries that they had. Directing them towards the scriptures, trying to help them understand God's love and God's grace towards them in Christ, trying to help them understand how God's love could be applied to the struggles that they were in, watching the things that they faced, watching them be persecuted, watching their businesses do well, and watching their businesses go down, watching them leave family and friends to follow Christ, and watching the repercussions. He had spent time with them. The price that he has paid was shown in his tears. He was a good shepherd, and he didn't do it because it was a job. He didn't do it because it was his job. He did it because God had called him to it. He made the sacrifice and he paid the price, not because he needed a job. He had a job. He had a trade. He did what he did in shepherding God's people because God had called him to it. He was a shepherd. He knew his sheep. And he knew the closer he was to his sheep, the more time he spent with his sheep, the more he would learn about how to care for his sheep, how to pastor his sheep. And he also learned something near and dear for all the people that God would call to this role. Most of you know this even personally. Sheep bite, too. Sheep bite. Care, and and you can love, and you can shepherd, and we'll talk about what that looks like in a little bit, but sheep bite. And Paul knew the bite of the sheep. He knew what it was to sacrifice and to spend his energy and to spend his emotion and to spend his time to turn around and be bitten by him. So another attitude of a shepherd of God's people and God's church has gotta be marked by sacrifice. He's gotta be sacrificial. He's gotta be sacrificial. Another one, but keep going because we take too much time on this. Another one, verse 20. Another attitude of a godly elder. A godly elder has got to be courageous. Who, what Paul said in verse 20. He said, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. He said the same thing in verse 27. Look at verse 27. I didn't write it down, but you can see it right here. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I didn't shrink back declaring to you anything that was part of the whole counsel of God. All the pressures that came against Paul, all all the trouble that came against Paul, all the opposition that came against Paul for the message that God had called him to preach, he said, I never shrunk back. I knew what I faced, I knew the opposition, I knew the disagreement. I knew how the majority of you would hear what I had to say and you would hear it in an unfavorable light. I knew how it would be received. I know how I prayed it would be received, but I know how you'll probably receive it. But in all of that, I never shrank back. I never was afraid. I never shrank back from doing what God had called me to do. And if you're going to shepherd God's people, an attitude that we're looking for, an attitude that we're praying that God work into our hearts is one of courage. You've got to have courage to shepherd God's people. You got to have courage to declare the whole counsel of God. You got to have courage to say things that you know people most of the time don't want to hear. You got to have courage to go into the middle of a situation where a sheep's been hurt, and you've got to love that sheep and you've got to care for that sheep. You got to apply the gospel to the particular wounds of that sheep, and you know how it's going to be received. You ever tried to care for a dog or an animal that's been hurt? You ever try to go and and take care of it when it it knows it's been hurt and it doesn't trust you? doesn't know what to do? First time you're reaching to get it, you don't know if you're going to lose your hand or not? You're going to shepherd God's people. You're going to have to have courage because much of what you're going to say, people aren't going to want to hear. Much of the way people respond is not favorable towards your ego. A shepherd of God's people has got to be courageous. A shepherd of God's people has got to also be impartial. Look what Paul said in verse 21. He never shrank back, he said, from declaring anything that was profitable or anything in the whole counsel of God. And he testified of these things to both Jews and Greeks. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. At one time, when he was a a Pharisee, he had considered Gentiles on the same level as dogs. He considered, considered Gentiles on the same level as dogs. If he had been in contact with one, he would have to go through a series of purification rites and rituals and washings to cleanse himself from having been contaminated by the very presence of these people. This was the way he thought not too long ago. But now God has called him and commissioned him and sent him to testify to God's grace and God's goodness to the Gentiles to see churches planted throughout the Gentile nations, to see people who were far from God, set apart from God, looked down upon by God's people, rescued by God's grace, brought into God's family, made God's sons and daughters. He so said, I did it with no partiality. I spoke the whole counsel of God to both Jews and Greeks. And a shepherd of God's people cannot lead God's people with partiality. A shepherd of God's people cannot just shepherd certain people that he likes. You can't just shepherd people that agree with you, that look like you, that dress like you, that encourage you all the time, that tell you everything you say is great. You can't just find the people that you like and say, I'm going to pastor these people. How about the rest of you? I don't know what God's going to do with you, but I'm going to pastor these people. And when the pastors in the church and the elders in the church and the shepherds in the church get together, we don't get together like Congress. We don't get together, each representing different factions of people that we like and that we lead, and we come together and try to figure out what to do with them. We come together with a responsibility to shepherd all of God's people. Whoever God is calling to himself, whoever is responding to the word of God that is being preached by the shepherds, whoever is responding in repentance and faith to the goodness of God's grace, there's no room for partiality. There's no room for only thinking and considering about certain groups of people. A shepherd of, of God's church has, has got to be impartial. And then lastly, before we move on, a godly elder, a godly shepherd of God's people has got to be gospel-centered. Sacrificial, yes. Courageous, yes. Impartial, yes. Selfless, Yes. It's got to be gospel-centered. Paul said he never shrank back from declaring anything that was profitable, teaching in public and house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted as many men and women as possible to enjoy the grace of God and the transformation that comes to the Holy Spirit. This was the driving passion behind Paul's life. In fact, in fact, Just a little sidebar for you. All authority of the shepherds in the church, all authority of the pastors or elders in the church is tied up into being centered on the gospel. Do you know that? The authority of the pastors have in the church, the leash on the authority the pastors have in the church is tethered to the gospel. If at any point what we say or what we do is not directly connected and submitted to God's word as he has declared it, then you don't have any responsibility to follow it. In fact, Apostle Paul would look at the church in Galatians and say, I don't care if an angel shows up to you. If he says anything contrary to what God has revealed in his word or contrary to this message of grace, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Our authority is not bound up in what you say, who makes a vote, who doesn't take a vote, what title we have, what we do. Our authority is 100% solely tied up and tethered to the degree to which we're centered on the gospel and the word of God. At any point, if it goes beyond that, you have no responsibility to follow. In fact, you would be in sin at that point and God will hold you responsible for following and listening to a message that was contrary to what he's revealed in the scriptures. All right? So, a shepherd of God's people, a pastor, an elder of God's people, has got to be selfless, sacrificial. He's got to be impartial. He's got to be courageous. But he's got to be centered on God's word. And he's got to be centered on God's gospel. So, just can you hear a little bit of 1 Timothy 3 in there? I mean, can you see where what Paul told Timothy 10 years down the road has kind of birthed out of what he's pointed about his own ministry here to these same elders? This is kind of, this is what he's doing. He was reminding these guys of the character, the attitude, the characteristics of his ministry towards them. So that as he followed Christ and he called them to follow him, this is what they would represent as they went back to the church in Ephesus and called all people to follow them in leading the church. That's an essential function of a shepherd. He should be able to follow Christ closely and turn around with a clean conscience and tell other people to follow me as I follow Christ this is what the Apostle Paul was doing with these guys right here. Um, None of these particular qualities, let me just say this for clarification, none of these particular qualities in Acts chapter 20 or in 1 Timothy 3 or in Titus 1, the other place where Paul kind of lists these attitudes of pastors or shepherds, none of them are unique to the elders in particular except for one. Only one particular quality or function is unique to elders. The rest are all laid onto the backs of all believers. All believers are called to be selfless, sacrificial, courageous, gospel centered. The only thing that's required of elders that's different from the the rest of Christendom is the ability to teach. So, what's happening here is the idea that what's mandated and directed to the church has to be exemplified in the shepherds. Those attitudes are required of all of us, but you should be able to look at the shepherds and see them exemplified. You should be able to see examples of those things such should the great you want to follow those things. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here because the shepherds will set the moral tone and very few congregations will ever rise above the level of godliness set by the leaders, by the shepherds of the church. So Paul is kind of setting the tone, setting the characteristics, setting the attitude for these elders because this is what the people are to follow. And then he's gonna get to the functions. Now he's gonna talk about the functions. In in verse 28, you kind of get to the the thesis of the whole thing, the, the central idea of the whole text. This is what he says. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, there's that word shepherd, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the principal charge to pastors and elders in the church is to shepherd God's people now this is just a very biblical way of understanding the role a very biblical idea metaphor picture of what God is calling people to do and he has from the old testament and he will forward in the rest of the new testament in fact you know remember Jacob called God his shepherd if you think back on the old testament Jacob called God his shepherd and in psalm 100 God calls his people his sheep and if you think about Psalm 23, David referred to or referenced God's love towards him and towards his people with this metaphor and this idea of the Lord being his shepherd and him being God's sheep. This picture, this metaphor is, is all throughout scripture to describe the, the function not only of God's love towards his people, but the people that God puts to lead his church, to lead his people. It, it's, a, it's a metaphor, it's a picture. So when God calls leaders to lead his church in the Old Testament, he calls Moses, who was a shepherd. And he calls him to shepherd God's people. And he calls David, who was a shepherd. Remember, he killed a lion and he killed a bear, which gets to an essential function of a shepherd. At some point, I've got to find a lion and a bear, and I'll, I'll meet my, my qualifications. But the, simple, the essential charge that Paul's giving these guys is to shepherd the flock of God. Now, let's, let's keep reading, and we'll pull out a few things because we're going really fast. Look at Verse 28. and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. So the essential charge of a shepherd, of a pastor, of an elder, is to shepherd God's flock. There are three things inherently in here that you see in the Apostle Paul's charge towards them that is true of shepherds and that help give us a, a picture of what our responsibility is to be. And, and uh, another pastor named Timothy Whitmer did a great job in a recent book uh, of kind of categorizing these things. So I'm going to use three of four of his categories. And the first thing that a shepherd has to do, if you're going to shepherd the flock of God well, you've got to know them, you, you have to know the sheep. You've got to know who they are. And you see this a little bit in verse 28, where Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, how, how can you pay attention to a flock or shepherd a flock when you don't know who they are? I mean, how, how do you know what sheep you're supposed to oversee? How do you know what sheep you're responsible for? Liggin Duncan is a pastor down in Mississippi. He said two things that have stuck with me ever since I I started uh, working in full time ministry. These two things. He said, Shepherds are supposed to smell like sheep. Shepherds are supposed to smell like sheep. You're supposed to know sheep. You're supposed to be around sheep. You're supposed to be around them and know them so much to smell like them. He's also the one that told me that after you know sheep, they remember that sheep bite. It helps to remember that. I've already told you that. But he said shepherds are supposed to know sheep. And this functions here in a couple of ways. There's a big picture way that shepherds know sheep. And shepherds have to know who they're responsible for. See, if we're going to stand before God and give an account for the spiritual well-being of those whom God has entrusted us with, we have to know who they are. And the essential way that we're responsible to know on a big picture level who are ours or through what we do when we do covenant membership we're trying to identify those who God has called to himself in repentance and faith and then God has placed within our, our care, our, our flock, those who we're supposed to entrust ourselves to, to care for, where we do this by knowing who they are because without that, I don't know who I'm going to stand before God and give an account for. I have no idea. And if I don't know who I'm going to give an account for, you don't actually know which particular shepherd you're supposed to follow. How do you know which ones you're supposed to follow? You're not supposed to follow all of them. How do you know? So on a big picture, a big way uh, that we know the sheep that we're supposed to shepherd is, is what we do within covenant membership. And we, and we can begin to understand, okay, these are the ones that God has entrusted. These are the ones that God is redeeming. These are the ones that God has placed within our particular care. We have to know them. And then kind of drill down, we actually have to get to know people. Shepherds actually have to spend time with people. You actually have to know the sheep, You know what their particular concerns are, know what the vulnerabilities are know what the strengths are, spend time with them, get to know them. Sheep need to know they belong to a shepherd. Real sheep, real sheep need to know they belong to a shepherd. And shepherds need to know which particular sheep belong to them personally. This is what the apostle Paul did when you see him in in houses and in homes and, and teaching publicly and going from house to house. He was knowing people, getting to know people knowing which ones that he was supposed to take care of, knowing who God was redeeming and who God was placing in the church. Now, the complexities, and let me just say this, the, the complexities of this in the 21st century are a little bit different. In the 21st century, life is not the exact same as it was in the time of the Apostle Paul. There are a few more complexities, but the principles are essentially the same. And, and so much of what we're doing right now and what we're doing in the months to come is, is trying to create a strategy to better know the sheep to better know who God has entrusted, to better care for, to be around so that we can can know who you are, not just on a big picture level, which I think we've we've done a decent job of getting a handle on, but actually beginning to know you more personally, caring for you more directly, caring for you more particularly, because this is a chief function of a shepherd. He's got to know his sheep. And if his sheep don't know who their shepherd is, how are they gonna follow his voice? How are they gonna follow? So a shepherd's got to know his sheep. Another thing that a shepherd has got to do, another essential function of a shepherd, especially in the church, is a good shepherd has got to protect his flock. He's got to protect them. He's got to know them. He's got to watch out for them. Verse 29, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, he's talking to the elders right here. He's saying a time's going to come. The people are going to come in but even amongst you, amongst some of you, some things are gonna get twisted. And men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now, in real life, now, don't stretch the metaphor too far, okay? Don't, don't take this too personally. In real life, sheep are particularly helpless. They're they're not the most um, bent towards self-defense. In fact, sheep have teeth on only one jaw. Did you know that? They only have teeth on one jaw. So the best that a sheep can really do is pinch you. That's that's the best of what he's gonna be able to do. They're they're particularly helpless. In fact, there was a story in an AP poll, an AP story um, about four years ago, if I remember correctly, four or five years ago from Turkey true story you can go look on the AP wire and find it I can actually send you the link to it shepherds were out tending their flocks and one particular sheep wandered off of a cliff fell off of a cliff do you know how many other sheep fell off the cliff? 1500 1500 followed that particular sheep off of a cliff do you know how many died? 435 why so few? Think logically. Well, yeah, as the pile got higher, the pile got softer. <laughs> Only the first round 400 or so actually died. Because as they kept going, they kept getting taller and kept getting softer. But, I'm sorry. Again, don't stretch it too far. But you know the particular vulnerabilities that all of us have. All of us have. All of us have to mindlessly follow. We all do. We're wired by God to listen to his voice, to follow his word, to be led by him. We're wired to follow. Sheep in real life are particularly vulnerable. And a shepherd has got to know the vulnerabilities. A shepherd has got to be aware of his sheep, know his sheep, count his sheep, be aware of his sheep, and then be aware of the things that will seek to destroy his sheep. A shepherd has got to be on the lookout for predators that want to come in and devour his sheep. A shepherd in God's church has got to be aware of influences, of ideas, of doctrines, of theologies, of things that will seek to come in and twist the truth of God, distort the truth of God, draw God's people away from the simplicity of hope and faith and trust in the gospel. And a shepherd has got to be aware of that. A shepherd has got to be on the lookout for what might draw the sheep away from the voice of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus himself. You've got to protect the flock. A shepherd in God's church has got to be on the lookout for those who are coming in and seeking to have influence in the church and influence over the people to draw people away to themselves. It happens. It will happen here. If I had time, I don't. I could tell you good stories that you don't even know about of the times that we've had to watch out for wolves that have sought often unintentionally to come in here and draw people to themselves. And a good shepherd has got to protect his flock. He's got to be on the lookout knowing that there is an enemy prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. And he's got to be on the watch. He's got to be able to recognize it. And he's got to have the courage to step in between the sheep and the danger he's got to have the courage to take out his staff and kill the wolf. There is no place in shepherding for a timid and fearful man. No place. When the pressure comes and the time comes and the wolf prowls and he snarls and he's looking at the sheep, if you can't pick up your staff and kill the wolf and you allow the sheep to be devoured, you have not done your job. In fact, God condemns you and passes woe on you. We can read that in Ezekiel 34 in just a minute the faithless shepherds of Israel who allowed the wolves to come in and devour God's people, who allowed God's people to be taken away from the grass and the food that would provide for them and to be drawn away to empty and hollow doctrines. God pronounced a woe on them. A shepherd's gotta know his sheep. A shepherd's gotta protect his sheep. And then ultimately a shepherd, a good shepherd, he's gotta feed his sheep. He's gotta feed them. Verse 31, Paul says, Be alert. Remember that I never cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That the commitment of the elders, and that's really what that word commend means. And now I commit you, Paul is saying. I commit you to the word of his grace, I commit you to the gospel. Elders have to be committed to the gospel. The only thing that is capable of building up and transforming us into the likeness and the image of Christ. And elders got to be committed to the gospel. And it is the principal responsibility of shepherds in the church, pastors in the church, elders in the church to teach and preach God's word clearly, comprehensively, and compellingly. You gotta do it. A shepherd in the church has got to be able to teach God's word. He's got to be a guy that loves God's word, is surrendered to God's word, loves to meditate on God's word, memorize God's word. He knows God's word. And when he opens up his Bible and he looks at people, he can explain God's word in a way that people can understand it. I mean, you can know the Bible in and out. You can know Greek. You can know Hebrew. You can know German. You can know other biblical languages. But if you can't teach it in a way that people can understand, you're not doing the job. A shepherd has got to feed sheep. He's got to give them the word of God, the only thing that is capable of building up and transforming the soul and cultivating the soul to reflect the character of Christ. You've got to know your Bible and love your Bible. Paul will later tell Timothy that this is a defining mark of a shepherd in the church. He's got to be able to teach. It doesn't mean that you have to stand up here and do what I do. It doesn't mean that every shepherd, every pastor, every elder in the church has going to stand up and preach on Sunday. Some people will be better in different settings. Some will be better one-on-one, some will be better in small groups, some will be able to do it a peer. And even under the leadership and the authority of the elders, there will be other men and women who can teach God's word and they will do it in other settings here at the church as the elders lead. Doesn't mean that everybody who can teach is an elder, but it means that everybody who is an elder has to be able to teach. You've got to be able to clearly and comprehensively and compellingly take the word of God and the riches of the word of God and be able to apply them accurately to the realities of people's lives. You've got to be able to do it in a way that people can understand, in a way that people can, can take in, in a way that people can apply. I, I mean, just, this is just, what good is it, what good is it to know everybody's name, know which sheep like to be rubbed on their bellies, which sheep like to be patted on the head, which sheep like side hugs and which sheep don't? Which sheep like you to call and not email, email and not call? Don't do. What good is it to know all the sheep? Know all the particularities? To build all the fences, get all the guards posted, have all the watchmen and shepherds looking out for wolves while you rub bellies all day long and never actually lead them to feed? I mean, what good is it To protect and know all the sheep if you can't feed them. If you rub their bellies while they starve to death. What good is it? The principal responsibility of a shepherd is to feed the sheep. It's to feed the sheep. It's to lead God's people to God's word. To teach God's people God's word. To teach God's people to find God's word sufficient for their every desire, their every want, and their every need. To teach God's people to surrender to God's word. To teach God's people the riches of the gospel of grace that are found in God's word. To direct God's people back to God Himself as He's revealed Himself in His word. That's the principal responsibility. Doesn't matter if you can protect, doesn't matter if you can know. It's an abject failure if you don't feed them. It's an abject failure if you don't feed them. And that's a principal function of God's shepherds in his church. They have to know the sheep that God's given them, protect the sheep from predators, and feed the sheep on the word of God, the only thing capable of building them up and cultivating their soul to reflect the character of Christ. Those are the particular functions of a pastor, the particular functions of a shepherd or an elder. And as we work through those and talk through those, as rapidly as we do, we have to be careful not to stretch the metaphor too far. I won't stretch your metaphor too far being sheep. Don't stretch my metaphor too far as being a shepherd because as you know, even from the scriptures and the shepherds that God gave his people, Moses and and David, Abraham, they're all sinful, frail men. Don't stretch the metaphor so far that you actually forget or that I actually forget. Let me talk to myself. I'll put myself, I'm gonna sit next to Mignon. Don't forget and stretch the metaphor too far and forget the shepherds are actually sheep too. Don't forget the shepherds are actually sinful sheep as well. Leadership in the church and the responsibility in the church and the role of a pastor in the church is no place for a man who's on an ego trip. There's no place for a man who needs his ego fed. There is no room for that ego and God's grace in the same place. You can't do it. You're still a sheep. You're still a sinful, fallen human. And you are no better than anyone else at the foot of the cross. Don't stretch it too far. Shepherds are still sheep. Moses took the sign of that authority that God had given him, that very staff. The very thing that he had thrown down at the feet of Pharaoh that had turned into a a snake. The very thing that he led God's people in the wilderness with. The very thing that he held up While Joshua fought the Amalekites and God purveyed and and, and won and had victory on their behalf as Moses kept that thing up. A very staff, that shepherd, used that thing in anger to strike the rock and he was mad at God's people. He turned around and took that authority and and anger towards the people he was leading and used it in a way that God hadn't allowed. Forget David. Shepherd, man after God's own heart. He used his authority in a way that God had never allowed and never intended it for it to be used. As a man who had a shepherd's heart, whose life was brought up as a shepherd. Don't forget that shepherds are sheep. I think that's why in particular in the beginning of this charge, Paul looks at the pastors, he looks at the shepherds. He says, pay very careful attention to yourself. All these things that you're called to do, all these attitudes that you're to have, pay very careful attention to yourself. Remember, your congregation will rarely rise above the level of godliness that you reflect, that you portray. Pay careful attention to yourself. He'll tell Timothy in this same church 10 years down the road, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You're of no use spiritually to anyone else as a shepherd if your own life is out of whack, if your own heart is out of whack. That's not a word of condemnation. It's not a word meant to drive anyone out there into a spiritual closet where you can put on your best Pharisee suit and come back out and play a role and do things and, and try to create a reputation and put forth a front that isn't true. That's a word of encouragement and a word of warning that's meant to drive every single one of us to our knees in repentance and faith before the cross of Christ, remembering that it's only through confession and repentance and dependence upon his grace that any level of particular maturity or holiness is possible in any of our lives. But pay careful attention to yourself. So I will ask you, the congregation here, to respond to this in, in, in three ways. I'm gonna give you three kind of directions to how you can help us in this process. All right? First one, Pray. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the elders in this church. Pray for the elders that the Holy Spirit is burdening and calling to care for and shepherd this church. Remember that we are men beset by sin and weakness. And we are in desperate need of your prayers. They are essential. In fact, pray verse 24 of Acts chapter 20. If you could pray something for your shepherds, your pastors, pray verse 24. Listen to what he said. I pray that this be true of us, that we do not account our life as of any value, nor as precious to ourselves. If only we may finish our course in the ministry that we have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Pray for your pastors. Two, remember to be realistic about your pastors. Congregations can crush pastors. When congregations forget that pastors are sheep and pastors let congregations forget that they're sheep because they like the congregations thinking otherwise of them, the expectation can ultimately crush them because yet they're still sinful men. So look for qualified pastors, pray for qualified pastors, but be realistic about the men that God calls and the men that God set in place here. And then thirdly, pray and commit to recognizing elders wisely. Pray and commit with us to recognizing the shepherds that God is bringing here wisely. I mean, you see, in in one sense, we don't actually choose them. We don't make them. Contrary to some popular things, we don't actually produce elders. Someone doesn't get saved, and we have a track of things that you get into, and on the other end, we spit out an elder. That's not how it actually works. Paul says that elders or shepherds in the church are put in by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made you an overseer or an elder. So, in one sense, we don't actually make elders. The Holy Spirit makes elders. But he doesn't send me an email every month. He doesn't let me know every month through email what men he is compelling and calling towards this particular responsibility. So, what we do is we pray and we look and we watch and we see what men are displaying these qualities and these attitudes, what men are taking on these responsibilities on any particular title or any particular request. And we ask men that we see this in to consider this. And we ask men now here, if you feel compelled by this, to let one of us know. And from there, we we begin to get to know you better and examine what's going on and your compulsions and your desires and how you reflect these attitudes and qualities. And at that point, we put them in front of the congregation for you guys to have a few weeks to pray and to let us know if this particular person, there's any reason why they shouldn't be a pastor here. And if not, we... Pray for them, commission them, and they become a a shepherd or a pastor here. So commit to wisely praying for and looking for shepherds in this church. We need them desperately, desperately. Elders are God's appointed means to feed and protect his flock. My countdown timer is gone. Let me pray for us, because I have gone too long. Father, thank you for Thank you for doing the work of purchasing your people, your church, by your blood. Lord, this is not my church or the elders here church. This is not our church that we own. This is your church. You obtained this church with your blood. We were created to live close to you, to know you, to be known by you, to delight in you, to find meaning in you, but we rebelled against you. We committed treason against you as our king. But yet you act. You acted as the good shepherd who did not let us wander off that cliff to eternal separation. Where we so often fail as shepherds, you did not fail as our chief shepherd. You took on flesh to save us, to rescue us, to restore us at the price of your own blood. You obtained us as the sheep of your flock, the sheep of your pastures by the cost of your own blood. Your church is of infinite value to you. Or let it be of infinite value to us. Lord, I ask that as your Holy Spirit compels men towards responsibility in your church, that you would give us wisdom in identifying those things and wisdom in examining those things and encourage to lead your people well. Give us dependency upon your grace and your spirit to reflect your goodness to a congregation well. Lord, let this church be a reflection of satisfaction and desire. Satisfaction in you and desire for more of you. We ask this in the name of your son Jesus, amen.